Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Movie Club podcast. Uh, We're like so happy to have you here. So great to see you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and sharing us with your small children. We recently had... (laughs) Dan's looking at me like a psychopath. (laughs) No, this makes sense. Like in a regular way. We were recently tagged in a post. It was like a mom holding her sleeping child. He was really fussy and he fell asleep listening to your episode about Con Air. (laughs) Which could be like a compliment or like a really big insult. (laughs) Right. You guys are boring as shit or you're so soothing. Thank you. That's got to be it. Subconsciously corrupting my child, but it touched (laughs) me deep in my soul. Me too. I thought it was adorable. As you might be able to tell, I'm very sick. So I sound like this, but we are going to just power through because we are dedicated as shit to this podcast that does not pay us any money yet. Yes. We're dedicated, and I can't wait one more second before talking about this fucking stupid movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm Jazz Zapatos, and when I was a kid, my baby brother somehow got into the jar of Flintstones vitamins and, like, ate the whole jar. And my mom had to give him the stuff that makes you throw up. I think it's called like Ipecac Ipecac, or something. So that he wouldn't like overdose on these vitamins. I just remember him like throwing up rainbow. Ew, really? Yeah, they're all different colors, Flintstone vitamins. Oh, right. My name's Dan Levine. And uh, when I was a kid, I went to my next door neighbor's house, the Youngs, and I ate a Flintstones pop, like an ice cream pop. Okay. And I was allergic to dairy and I just threw up down their steps like into their basement like we're back me and dan just a couple of best friends Mm -hmm. talking to you today about my best friend's wedding the movie i had never seen it before and i was very curious because i know how much everyone loves this movie i don't want to beat around the bush i absolutely hated it (laughs) like really 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 hated it And I feel like with a lot of these movies that I really don't like, you know, with Twilight, it's not really for me and I don't want to like piss anyone off. So I don't want to like say anything too bad. I don't care. I hate this movie so much. (laughs) I have mixed emotions. Like, so I'm not offended or surprised that you don't like this movie. A lot of people don't like this movie once they watched it past the 90s and they were like, oh, this is actually really fucked up. Yeah, but I don't care about the fucked up part of it. I, you just think it's I hate badly it. made. Yeah, I hate it. I hate everything. I hate it. Totally fair. I respect your opinion. Thank you. But we will get into all the juicy, juicy, good, good. Shall we set the scene? Yes, absolutely. Childhood friends Julianne Potter and Michael O'Neill had a deal to marry each other if they were still single by age 28. Now, four days before her 28th birthday, O'Neill announces that he's marrying a gorgeous 20-year-old named Kimberly. Suddenly realizing that she's actually in love with him, Julianne vows to stop the wedding at all costs. However, when she's appointed maid of honor, things get even more complex. Just that small little snippet made me angry. Like, I disagree with all of it. Immediately, I'm like, oh, this movie is so out of touch. I just don't even think that they know what their own characters are feeling. Like, I don't think she... We're getting to it, but I don't think she actually loves him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, whatever. I'm with you, man. 
I'll stoke your flames. Thanks, dog. So, in terms of the cast and crew, this movie was directed by PJ Hogan. He's an Australian filmmaker who brought us films like Muriel's Wedding, Peter Pan, and Confessions of a Shopaholic. So, nonstop fun. The role of Julianne Potter is played by one and only Julia Roberts. Following a breakthrough role in Mystic Pizza in 1988, Roberts earned critical acclaim and award recognition for her portrayal of the ill-fated Shelby in Steel Magnolias. But it was her performance as a hooker with a heart of gold opposite Richard Gere and Pretty Woman that propelled Roberts into the upper tier of Hollywood actresses. She quickly became one of the highest paid stars, male or female, in the world. Deservedly so. Yeah, I mean, look at those fucking teeth. Does she have the same amount of teeth? That every other human does? <laughs> Doubtful. Yeah, there's no way. Michael O'Neill is played by the absolute daddy of my heart and soul, Dermot Mulroney, not to be confused with Dylan McDermott. People, A lot of people were like, it doesn't make any sense that two of these women are falling for this guy. Like, they didn't <gasps> think that he was that attractive. Is he like... Um, I mean, what? I think he's like the maybe the most handsome actor of all time. Really? <laughs> yes. I didn't know that he was considered so attractive. I mean, I don't know if he's considered so attractive. I consider him so attractive. I think he is a total babe. Like, I think that's part of his thing on New Girls that, like, he's a little bit older, but he's like a foxy dilf. Got it. Got it. Speaking of hot young people, we have the role of Kimberly Wallace, played by a young Cameron Diaz. Perhaps no actress had a faster ride to the top than Cameron Diaz, who was launched into stardom with The Mask in 1994. Yeah. She really established herself with this film, My Best Friend's Wedding, but then obviously became like iconic in There's Something About Mary in 1998. And then, of course, we know her from films like one of my favorite girl pal flicks is called The Sweetest Thing, where she stars opposite Christina Applegate. So freaking funny and inappropriate. Well, it's another movie that you, uh, you know, that you got to stop some. Well, not really stop someone for you got to get to the wedding to uh, yeah, realize so your love. Yeah, so true. Wow, she, her wedding in this movie is trying to get stopped, and she's trying to stop another wedding. Well, she doesn't know she's stopping a wedding. She just thinks right. she's crashing a wedding. Exactly. Right, 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 right. Also, Julia Roberts had like a big hand in getting her that role. Really? Yeah, there was a couple other people that were supposed to do it, and Julia Roberts like, I think it should be Cameron Diaz. Maybe because both of them have such large mouths, because she also has a, a really <laughs> large mouth. She really does. I just looked at my own mouth and was like, I have kind of a large mouth, too. So do you. I guess so. Yeah. Moving on, we have uh, probably my favorite person in this whole movie, George Downs, played by Rupert Everett. 100%. He was a former model for Yves Saint Laurent. He also was in Shrek 2 and Shrek 3 with Cameron Diaz. He's the only saving grace for me in this movie. I love his character. I love him more now than I ever did before. Like, I appreciate his character now way more than I did in the past. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Why do you think so? I just think it was easy back in the day to get, like, more swept up in, like, the main characters because of, like, oh, the romance and the longing. Right. And then I was like, oh, this guy's actually fucking a comedic genius, and he's the only one who's speaking any sense. Yeah, it almost makes the rest of the film worse because you could see what someone else can do. It's also, like, the I don't think... Julie Roberts is doing a bad job. She's working with what she has. Yeah. The original script didn't have him. He had like two lines. Big mistake. And huge. <laughs> huge. Massive mistake. <laughs> and the producers gave him more screen time because with test audiences, everyone was like, well, this is the best part. More of this, please. Say more. More George. Yeah. And a couple just alternate casting choices. Drew Barrymore read for Kimberly, but 
lost out to Cameron oh. Diaz because uh, Julia Roberts. And they're best friends. Yeah, which is weird. She kind of stabbed her in the back because she was like, no, I think I want Cameron <laughs> Diaz there. So I was like, damn. damn girls. And then the other person that was up for uh, Julia Roberts' role was Sandra Bullock. And the director was like, she's the only other actress in the world besides Julia Roberts. Honestly. That would have been great. I think she would have been super, I super agree. Effective. She would have crushed that part. Agreed. But I have a thing for Sandy. She is my queen. And then one more. It's uh, PJ Hogan, the director, wanted Russell Crowe to play the part of Michael. Boo. No. I don't see that at all. I, I guess not. I don't see the final product working either. So I, you know, I could see <laughs> Russell Crowe <laughs> working. You're like, doesn't matter to me. It's shit either way. Throw everything at me. Like something might work better than what happened here. I mean, apparently the table read with uh, Russell Crowe and Julia Roberts went really poorly. And then they were like, Boo. hey, we can't do this. No chemistry. No. And I do think that she and, and Dermot Mulroney did have good chemistry. I mean, does she? I thought there was chemistry. I mean, maybe it's just because Dermot Mulroney's so hot. <laughs> so, like, everything no, he does, right. I'm like, oh, chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think, I think they got a little something going on. They're just two awful people. They had people. moments. This movie, I feel like, does what You've Got Mail did for audiences back in the day, which is like if we cast two likable, hot enough main actors, like people will will forgive all the shitty things they're doing. Right, but then what are the what's the point of a casting director? If you're just going to try to get the most likable, hottest person, why does it, would a director come to you and say, okay, we need this role where this person's supposed to be a total shit heel? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, of course, Julia Roberts. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's called Kachang, Kachang, Kachang. For sure. For um, sure. Speaking of this business being horrifically unfair, let's dive into the reviews, shall we? Yes. Dwayne Burge of The Hollywood Reporter writes A bittersweet modern love morsel. This scrumptious drama should touch moviegoers' hearts in this action gorged summer. Oh, what is supposed to touch Ew. their hearts about this? And why are you writing it was like that? An action gorged summer. <laughs> What else came out that summer? The movie that beat this at the box office was Batman and Robin, which is like oh, very considered one of the worst movies <laughs> ever. So, Action Gorged is so gross. This is the problem with people who review art. And I don't really have a problem with it. Like it, it should happen. But like when people review poetry books and stuff like that and other books, they just use it as an opportunity to show their own ability to write. And it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with them assessing the piece of art. It's very masturbatory. Yeah. I loved how gross that review sounded. And it's not right. It doesn't touch anyone's hearts. No. Oh, maybe it did. I'm sorry. I'm speaking for myself. I think it probably touched people's hearts more at the time. That's what I want to talk about. Why it would be more effective then. Because people forgave everything so fucking easily in the 90s. Like we've seen this time and time again. We're just like, wow, how are these movies getting away with this? Yeah, I guess so. So like people could just be shittier and it was okay. I feel like, yes. And in like the name of like hot people being in love, like clearly. Yeah, I do think that's right. But that's also not to say maybe if this movie came out tomorrow, like it would be a hit. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know that this would go well today. In the 90s, I feel like unlikable protagonists were more accepted. Whereas now I feel like we have less patience for unlikable protagonists or like morally bankrupt protagonists unless like that's their shtick. 
Right. Like they're unlikable, but we can't help but like kind of root for them. Whereas like in this, like they're not playing it like that. They're just playing it like, well, it's Julia Roberts and she's like America's sweetheart, even though she's like doing this shitty stuff. But we're not really condemning her for it. Right. Because it's asking you, it's like, well, aren't you charmed by her behavior? She's falling off stuff constantly. It's charming as shit. I'm charmed because Julia Roberts is one of the most charismatic people alive probably but i'm i'm repulsed by her behavior it's awful and there's nothing redeeming about it and it's fine with something like let's say arrested development where there's not a character that is (laughs) any redeeming qualities but for some reason that's different it's not asking us to go along with their charm yeah that's the world we're living in right like but we're also poking fun at them where there's nothing about this movie that we're poking fun at the the people that suck we're asked to go along we're asked to support her in her endeavors (laughs) and apparently test audiences hated her i mean they wanted her to die that's what they the (laughs) director said they they wished that the ending was her dying I mean, she's an asshole in this film. Repulsive. <laughs> yeah. But like, honestly, so many of the reviews from like actual reviewers were like praising her performance, just essentially saying like how much you love her because of how versatile she is in this. She has so many colors. She does the physical slapstick. She does like the biting cynicism, mm-hmm. but also like the lovelorn, you know, the romantic heartfelt moments. And granted, she does all of that. Like, she's not a bad actor. This role is just kind of horrendous. Yeah, exactly. The role itself, how it's written, it doesn't make any sense. Like, this person doesn't exist. And if they do, they're terrible. And we shouldn't have a movie about them. Yeah. Well, somebody who is glad we have a movie about them is our good friend Roger Ebert, who gave this movie three out of four stars. Damn it. He writes, one of the pleasures of Ronald Bass's screenplay is the way it subverts the usual comic formulas that would fuel a plot like this. God, I'm so sick of this. It makes the Julia Roberts character sympathetic at first, but eventually her behavior shades into cruel meddling. It gives Kimmy Wallace, the fiancé, goodness and warmth instead of a ditzy facade. It makes Michael an intelligent player in the drama rather than the easily manipulated male we might expect. Stories like this are tricky for the actors. They have to be light enough for the comedy and then subtle in revealing the deeper tones. I was wondering toward the end how the story could possibly stay true to itself and still contrive a happy ending. It does, but not at all the one we're expecting. This is subtle writing to end a movie with not a clear-cut plot resolution, but with the right notes stuck and then held that's just such horseshit to me it's like wow it's subverting uh the expectations of these characters and the actors did a good job that doesn't mean that this is a good movie or this is a good script it's giving it (laughs) horseshit credit for like just doing something that isn't usually done that doesn't mean something's good I guess so. I mean, at the time, if you're thinking about like the standard 90s rom-coms, it certainly is doing something different and perhaps better than a lot of like the really like, it's just shit we've seen a million times. Right. I do feel that you're right though in that like we never really see the clear as day motives. To me, she still feels like somebody who like, yeah, went into it because she just is like kind of a narcissist and like doesn't want to lose and doesn't want to lose this guy who she's been like kind of leading on for a decade. Then she kind of gets wrapped up in her own plot and like spends time and sees how wonderful he is as is easy to do with somebody once you know you can't have them right but then it doesn't feel like a true love story no in any way it feels like an ego running mad we haven't got to it yet but when she's in the elevator for the next 40 plus minutes i was pretty sure it was a dream (laughs) because nothing was the way actual real life is 
and no one was acting in a way that anyone would ever act. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a Romeo and Michelle thing. Like, she's going to wake up. She passed out in the elf. Whatever. We'll get to it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to our Amazon reviews. The first one writes, funny, entertaining, and believable. Modern day Cinderella story and played to perfection by Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. (laughs) 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 This movie is a classic and will always be refreshing to watch from time to time. Dermot Mulroney is so adorable as the prospective groom, and Rupert, her best friend, was always there to help Julia over the rough spots. There's nothing like a wonderful gay friend. (laughs) Can I guess what the next review is? (laughs) Sure. Is it, Richard Gere is not in my best friend's wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Ted Pepsi comes back to prove that Richard Gere is, in fact, not in my best friend's wedding. He's not in the wedding scene. (laughs) He's not driving the boat. And no, he's not the caterer either. Oh, wait, I forgot that it's not because he's telling that to Ted. (laughs) And no, Ted, he's not. (laughs) He's not driving the bus. Yeah. If you don't know what in fresh hell we're talking about, go listen to like the first 10 minutes of our episode on speed and the movie and then finish (laughs) the episode as well because it's very good. Yes. And sorry for the inside baseball (laughs) bullshit that that was. Our next review is titled Don't Waste Your Time. My man. It reads, it's 2017, people. I never write reviews, but this is my mom's account. Julia Roberts' character is a psycho. And why do all the men look the same? Couldn't they have had different haircuts? (laughs) End of review. Yes. Finally, (laughs) some sanity. (laughs) They do all have the same haircut, to be fair. Yes, that's exactly right. Mixed feels. There were also, like, there were a lot of negative reviews that were, like, there was one that was, like, either this movie aged poorly or I did. And it was, like... (laughs) I'm 70, and I remember really liking this movie, and now I am appalled. So I just don't know if it's me, and I'm an old woman, and I have no patience for shitty people anymore, or what? Right, because I don't want to be one of those people who looks back, and I'm like, I I swear I'm not taking a moral stance in this movie. I just think it's bad. That's fair. That's totally fair. Okay. Um, And that's why this podcast exists, so that we can ruin all the movies you thought were your favorite movies. Yes. And real talk, <laughs> if we ever start doing that, please tell us, because we definitely don't want to do that. Oh, I want to do it. Oh, okay. That's, Never mind. I'm that's in. why I'm here. <laughs> Let's dive on into this plot. We open with a really kind of interesting and bizarre. It's a bride and three bridesmaids singing and dancing to that song that's like wishing and hoping and praying. The wedding dress worn in the opening credits is the same wedding dress worn by Jennifer Aniston's character in Friends. It's (gasps) Rachel's wedding dress. How could that be possible? Maybe that's bullshit. How could that be possible? How couldn't that be possible? Why would they need the same dress? Can they get a different dress? They don't need the same dress, but Hollywood's Hollywood, baby. They just go into the costume rack and they're like, give me a wedding dress. That's a good point. Um, So uh, we got to a busy, bustling kitchen working on a dish for a VIP table. Turns out it's LOL 27-year-old New York food critic Julia <laughs> Roberts and her editor. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I know that like people did everything younger 
back in the day, right? Like right. people got married younger, they had kids younger, they did all these things. It is so hard for me to imagine a 27-year-old being taken seriously as a food critic. The food it, critic. The food critic. It never comes back up why she's a food critic. She isn't passionate about food. There's no reason for No, to, there's nothing. Like, you're right. There's literally nothing in the plot. Like there were so many things too where like they could have had her like doing stuff on the catering or like any, right. anything. They're just like, uh, she needs a job. Whatever. Let's yeah, she needs this. a job. Let's make it like something totally unbelievable. Because she's the female protagonist in a 90s rom-com, she needs to have an enviable lifestyle. Maybe she works at a newspaper and she needs to go undercover to break up this wedding. That would be great. Her high school boyfriend. Yes. Uh, she is there having dinner with her editor, George. P.S. Like everything ever written about this film is like her gay friend and yeah. her gay editor. I'm like, okay, we get it. I read a couple people being like, this can't fly because this was just always the trope where it's like this gay friend who's like really wise comes in and just selflessly saves the day for some straight woman. And Fairy godmother. They, yeah, right. It's like, you need to stop doing that. Yes. Anyway, she takes out her giant fucking cell phone at the table and has a message from Michael, who we find out. We get the backstory. They had one hot month in college at Brown. Apparently, she's a big heartbreaker. She gets restless. She never has a relationship longer than two weeks. But they stay best friends. They travel together. And they made a blood pact that if they were still single by 28. 28. The ripe age of 28 that they would marry each other. First of all, holy shit. And these are not like podunk town kids who are like, right. these are New Yorkers. It's like, well, if we're not married by 75, it's like 28. It's not like you don't have anything left. I would say like 35 would even be fair to be like, sure. well, if we want to have kids or whatever, right. you know right. what I mean? But like 28, fucking, you still have some living and learning to do, my friends. Right, because it's not the end of the line. Because essentially what no. that deal is, is if this hasn't happened for either of us, what they're saying is it's never going to happen. So we should do it with right. with one another. I'm like, you are definitely not the best versions of yourself yet, as proven through the remainder of this film. God, and if anyone yes. out there is listening who's not married yet, do not marry anyone at the age of 28, okay? That's an order from <laughs> Auntie Jazzy. Wow, okay. Do not marry anyone if you're 28 or they're 28, okay? I don't care what you think Damn. you don't <laughs> that's a hot ass take hot ass take coming in steamy i just you don't you are not who you're going to become okay i'm hoping that you're singling out one specific listener <laughs> you're in your mind it's mostly like my biggest fear ah, in okay life. okay got it <laughs> yeah I thought it was like, here's looking at you, Jane, and your shitty husband or whatever. I don't know, some person. <laughs> um, funny enough, she's about to turn 28 very, very soon. George is like, maybe that's why he's leaving you all these messages because your 28th birthdays are coming up. So he's desperate to talk to you about this. She calls him back and he actually tells her that he's met someone. She comes from a billionaire family. She's a junior in college. And she's... 20 She's 20 years, years old. old. 20 years She's old. 20 years old. Anyway, they're getting married on Sunday. And he's like, I can't do this without you. I need you there to hold my hand. She is so pissed that she's been replaced as the woman in his life we don't even see like a moment of realization we just cut to like her on the way to the airport being like i gotta stop this wedding a more nuanced way to do that is her pretending to be happy for him and then kind of like grappling with her own insecurities but she's like overtly mad about it even mm -hmm. though she was talking to uh, george and it's like oh right michael i haven't really yeah. talked to him in a while they're not best friends i it's weird though because like 
everyone in his life knows probably too much about their relationship. Yes, right. Like even the bridesmaids are like, oh, this is the girl you'll never be able to compete <sighs> with. So like, uncomfortable and inappropriate. <laughs> it's a, a lot. There's a lot of inappropriate shit going down in this movie. But she gets off the plane and her and Michael see each other and it's just fucking delicious. He's delicious. And his fiance Kimberly is there. And she's just like, all I hear about is Julian this and Julian that. I've never had a sister. And she's just like so saccharine. She's like somebody who you want to make fun of. But she is like genuinely kind. So this is, I don't think that Cameron Diaz did a good job in this role. I can't put my finger on her at all. Because like, either she's like Meredith Blake. Right. Or she's like an actually good person. But some of the stuff she does is bad. Like, I have no idea what her intentions are. And I don't even really know. She's 20 years old. She's 20 years old. Right. Okay. But I don't even know why. Like, eventually, Julie Roberts is like, oh, I really love her. I just can't help it. It's like, why? I think that's like the whole gimmick of her is that like, you want to hate her, but you can't really. Because she's not like a bad egg. She's not super vapid. She's just like fucking young and impressionable and really in love with this guy. And she's also smarter than she looks. Kind of. You know, like. Sometimes. I mean, she's she's being had, but like everyone is. Basically, they immediately go off and get fitted for bridesmaids dresses. Right. And she's like, so what did Michael tell you about me? And she knows a lot about her. And she's just like, she doesn't do anything overtly feminine. She's not into marriage or even love. And she's like, I used to think I was just like you and proud of it. But then I met Michael and now I'm like all those sentimental twits I used to make fun of. So like, you know, she comes from a wealthy family, but she's going to school to become an architect. So like she's got to be, she's not like, she's driven professionally. She's not just trying to like do nothing until... But that that line also has like an edge to it. Like she's like looking out of the side of her eye, like as if she's yeah. really trying to intimidate her. It's like I always, you know, yeah. I I was as stupid as you were, and then I became the thing that I always pretended to hate, which is actually the way you need to re- live your life. At some points, she can't see emotionally what's going on with someone else, and at other times, she's like playing four D chess emotionally with somebody else. She is threatened by this woman right and so it's like she's also like trying to feel her out she's trying to like assess how much danger she might be in like there are several layers here but like part of it is going to be like pulling her closer to her uh well okay first things first julia roberts is changing and michael walks in and she covers up and he's like i've seen you a lot more naked than that she's like well things are different now he's like yeah i guess well you look good without your clothes on This is not somebody who's ready to be married. No. You get the feeling that he brought her there to hit on her. They just have this friendship that's like, it's not platonic at all. He doesn't think she's his best friend. He wants to sleep with her, right? Definitely does want to sleep with her. He definitely has been pining for this woman probably for the last decade, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he's in love with Kimberly. Right. And so like, it's both. I just think they're like two young people that are like, yeah, totally. We can be friends. It's not a big deal. We only hook up once in a while. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of hubris you have when you're younger and you're like, this actually is not an appropriate friendship. But then at the end, we're supposed to think that that is the way it can be because they are friends. In reality, I feel like they probably have an affair at some point. Down the line. <laughs> if we're being realistic here or they stop being friends, like or they like don't see each other really much ever. Right. Because you can't keep being friends with that person. It's going to no. ruin your marriage. 
Well, he literally says it later on, like this was probably the last time we'll ever be alone together. And there's a reason for that because you don't trust each other around each other. No, because you two are horrible. <laughs> You're horrible and horribly attracted to each other. Yes, so. terribly attracted to one another. Yeah, so they're hammering home their chemistry right from the start. This movie really plays with my emotions because I'm like, what do you want me to think? Like, do you want me to think that she's getting the guy? Do you want me to think that she's not? Like, right. that he's into her, that he's in love with his fiance? Like, there's just a lot of conflicting things going on. But again, life is conflicting. So this is what we're talking about. Jules and Kimberly are in an elevator just commiserating over Michael's flaws. And Kimmy stops the elevator, which, of course, sends Jules into like a claustrophobic spiral. If someone did that to me, I'd literally beat them unconscious and then beat myself unconscious. That's my greatest fear. Instead of just turning on the go button? No, I because I don't think it would work. I, I'm so claustrophobic. Yeah, me too. I would not want to be stopped in an elevator. But uh, she's basically like, I've put aside all of his flaws because I'm in love with him. But basically, like, you're my biggest problem. You have been like this perfect woman in his eyes for years so you win he's got you up on a pedestal and me in his arms and like i was expecting for her to like elaborate more on that but she doesn't like she just pushes past her starts the elevator again and then runs out and slams into a cater waiter and then this is when i started thinking none of this is real because all the things that they're saying it's like oh you win and now let's go talk to some old people and then like the old people don't say things that you know anyone would say in real life either (laughs) it's just so strange i mean it was strange before the moment really so i guess shame on me but but it also feels like it's going in fast motion everything is going in fast motion like it is we skip ahead a lot <laughs> we skip ahead and also characters just say things and the other characters don't even react to them like just what you were talking about like they never really like react to anything that's going on it's like you win and then it's like ding and then they just go off yeah they don't have a follow-up conversation about that whatsoever no they don't yeah but it's just her being like you can be the perfect one who's on the pedestal as long as i have him basically right which is like i guess very mature or desperate. I don't know. But uh, Jules heads over to hang out with Michael and the rest of the men at the, this baseball game. And she's given big pick-me-girl energy. Just like passing around beers. Like, I'm an easygoing girl. I'm a cool girl. And perving a little bit on his little brother. Yeah, he, she's a great favorite. She's really good at this. Yeah, she's very good at it. She's entertaining all the men who work at Sport Magazine. Is that what it's called? Sports Magazine? <laughs> fucking kidding? I mean, it's not that far off from Sports Illustrated. It's a little better. I mean, was that just like a placeholder? No one forgot to fill in with something? That sounds right. <laughs> that sounds accurate. <laughs> the only thing worse would be like, yeah, he works at Magazine Magazine. Right. Business Incorporated. <laughs> He works at big tech. <laughs> it's so disrespectful to the audience. Like, oh, they're fucking idiots. We don't care what the magazine is called. Sports <laughs> magazine. You would think too, like, because they keep talking shit on his job. Like, he doesn't have a great job. He doesn't get paid well. Right. But it's like, you would think if you got the name sports magazine, <laughs> That's you're the the, probably the biggest one in the game. <laughs> That's right. So they're talking about Kimberly and he like talks about how like she lets him hold her as long as he wants. And he's like, I know how you you get weird with all the yucky love stuff. And she's like, no, I've changed. Like I'm comfortable with the yucky love stuff. And it's like this whole time she's just trying to win. Right. So like. But blatantly like that, that yeah. comment itself is like, no, 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 no. It's OK. Like be with me. Like I'm, I'm comfortable. Yeah, with I'm it now. different. Yeah. Now. If that's not who you are, like, why even put yourself in that scenario? But everyone's totally volatile and just changes everything about themselves at every second of this movie. I'm sorry for 
spewing this vitriol. You guys can like this movie. I just it's okay. listen, Dan. You don't have to apologize for how you feel about this film, okay? I yeah, I don't want to. Okay. I didn't like Con Air. Yeah, but you weren't being a dick about it like I am right now. So I think I was, but no. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, cut to a karaoke bar. Jules very purposely brought them there because Kim can't sing and is very uncomfortable with karaoke, but Michael loves karaoke bar. So she's just laying it on thick. Her and Michael are laughing and Kim's like trying so hard to fit in, you know, like insert herself in the conversation. She looks so out of place. Yeah. She looks like a Lily Pulitzer model, like sitting in a dive bar. It's just so awkward. And then it comes out that she's not going to go back to college for senior year so that she can travel around with Michael while he writes about college baseball. And also that's their honeymoon. Right. Oh my God. Like what the fuck girl? Like you're 20 but still. It's an unfortunate plot point. But of course Jules is going to use that to her advantage to stir up some trouble including putting Kim on the spot to sing in front of the whole bar. She is terrible terrible but which is kind of cute though I think. she's so likable while trying and like the whole bar starts to like get on her side because she's just giving she's trying her best she's giving her all she knows she's bad and michael's just looking at her with this like look on his face like he's just so in love with her and it's so sweet but obviously this plan has backfired i think that this is a scene in the movie i kind of like but it goes on for like twice as long as it should, by the way. It finishes the <laughs> entire song. You already get the point of it. She can't sing and she's trying her best and everyone likes it. Like, okay, move on. But then the one of the fun facts is that Cameron Diaz was actually terrified about doing this Aww. because PJ Hogan said that she would just be lip syncing. And then he was like, no, you're actually going to be singing in front of all these people because he wanted wow. her to look like she the was actually scared. Director's hack. She like started to crush. Her. I think that that's like a kind of a, a good part of this movie. It really does seem like mm-hmm. she's pretty scared. And even for someone who's so clearly confident like Cameron Diaz, I thought it, it was pretty good. She even starts winning Julia Roberts over in that scene. Yeah, she does. So she's talking to Michael about all that Kimmy's giving up and how his job isn't sufficient, how her rich family may try to get him to give up his job and have a grown-up job. Then she's talking to Kimmy, basically being like, yeah, he's unhappy at his job. Like, get your father to offer him a job. And then, of course, she does, knowing full well it's going to piss him off. Basically, they get into this whole fight, and he's like, I'm not good enough for you. And then she's like, why do I need to give up everything in my life? And then all of a sudden, she's just like, you're right. I'm wrong. Please forget this ever happened and forgive me or I'll just die. Right. It's like so pathetic and sad. You're just like, this is just like a shell of a human being. She has nothing for herself. She's a 20-year-old girl in love. Like, she feels like she will die without him and is willing to just like sacrifice everything he's manipulating her he's totally overreacting to what she's saying and even when she's trying to walk it back he just keeps going farther and farther and farther until she has a total mental breakdown and is just uh, essentially submits to him yeah exactly it's not a great (laughs) it's not a great luke no who are we rooting for who do we want to do well in this movie i have no idea true, because you don't want julia roberts to win no but then you're also like this poor girl like shouldn't have to give up her life to like travel around watching college baseball with this dude who's like not giving a shit about her career right yeah it's a weird it's a so we're rooting for everyone to break up (laughs) so no one told you life was gonna be this way 
Anyway, Jules is like furious that her another plan is foiled. She calls George freaking out and he gets on a plane to help her. She's having just an absolute temper tantrum. He like shows up in her hotel room and he's like, do you really love him or is this just about winning? And she's like, at first it was just about having my prior claim, but now like I just see how wonderful he is. He's like, yeah, crazy what clarity psychotic jealousy can bring. <laughs> He's the best. He's so good. He's like, just tell him you love him. Like, again, this would all be avoided if she would have just yep. followed this advice in the beginning. Just tell him you love Why him. Why wouldn't you just listen to George? He's clearly the most sane and smart and wise person. Just do exactly yes. what he said. I have a gay husband in my life, and he is the same. He's very wise. Um, Daniel, if you're listening, you're always right. Anyway, Jules and George go to Michael's suit fitting and she is like trying to tell him. He like gives her the ring to hold on to and it's just like infuriating that she just can't get these fucking words out. Like he sees George across the room and somehow she ends up telling him that she's engaged to George. Yeah, the old fake boyfriend routine. I do love the line where she's like, yeah, he's in from New York for just a few hours to fuck me that is and he's so just funny. like and he's like uh yeah it takes a few hours <laughs> so apparently the the movie was originally rated r because of that you can't use the word fuck in like a sexual context you can barely use the word fuck at all yeah it was actually surprising that to hear it's usually automatic but then they appealed it and it went back to pg-13 i kind of couldn't believe i thought they used fuck like a few times in this too i don't recall um obviously first george is like what the actual fuck are you doing to me and then once he realized how much power he has in the situation he's like oh i'm gonna fucking ruin you this is gonna be so fun they're talking about how she was kind of like a slut she goes it makes me so sad to think that for so long you weren't finding the one just all those men she couldn't sit down for seven years until she met teensy weensy me it's like a self-deprecating dick joke too (laughs) oh my god he's so fucking funny kimberly is of course like freaking out and so happy over her engagement and george is just hamming it the fuck up he like cancels his flight back to new york to go have lunch (laughs) with the whole family He tells them this insane story about how they met in a mental institution and then it ends up in him singing. The moment I wake up before I put on my makeup. And of course, this is like the most famous scene from the movie. The whole table joins in. A random piano player at the seafood restaurant starts accompanying them. The entire restaurant starts singing, including the staff wearing these huge lobster claw mitts. And like Jules and Michael, the only ones not singing. And Michael looks very jealous. I was not charmed by this at all. <laughs> it's very cringe, as yeah. the young ones would say. But it's supposed to be cringe. Like, it's supposed to be so uncomfortable. And it is. Well, it's like the sweetest thing when they do the exact same thing. When they start those songs where like the restaurant will join in. For some reason, that's charming. Except their song is, your dick is too big to fit in here. Right. But that is like a moment of surrealism. This is just like white people being white people. That's what I can't figure out. Is it supposed to be surreal or is it supposed to be really happening? It's also in Something About Mary, too. It really follows these actors around. Cameron Diaz is in a lot of musical sequences. I guess just Cameron Diaz, yeah. It's just Cameron Diaz, yeah. The mask. Is there? I haven't watched it in a while. He like puts on a whole performance and they like do this whole dance. Oh, right. Yes. Whoa. Okay. I'm pretty positive there's one in Charlie's Angels as well. Wow. But anyway, we're dropping George back at the airport. Michael admits to being jealous and is like, can we spend the afternoon together? 
And again, like no follow up on this. Like you no. just admitting to being jealous when you thought she was engaged. I wrote, I'm starting to feel the type of angry I used to feel when a guy was fucking with my emotions. It's making me like weirdly want this very toxic chemistry to work right. out, even though like it's fucked up. And also it's like very back and forth in a way that is like jarring to me and it, there's no consistency. And I'm like, yeah, this feels like dating a fuck boy, basically is how watching this movie feels. It's stringing you along and asking you to suspend disbelief in pursuit of some bullshit that they are coming up with. I hate it. Yeah, and really they're just like two not great people. Like she's trying to blatantly steal this dude. He is... Letting her. Yeah. They take this river cruise together through Chicago and he like says how Kimmy says like when you love someone you should just say it out loud or the moment will pass you by and of course we watch that moment pass by and she just can't fucking say the words and maybe it's because she doesn't actually love him and that's why it's so hard for her to do it she just can't say any she just can't talk about her feelings i cannot relate (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think if i were to give this movie all the credit in the world i would assume that what she's doing is as soon as she says those words there's no going back everything is a possibility before she says those words That's true. Because it's kind of like, well, if I'm going to do this, then that means I'm basically committing to this guy for a lifetime. I better be ready to fucking marry this dude. Well, there's that. And there's also like, she doesn't tell him she loves him. He goes ahead and goes get to get married then she could break up the marriage like as soon as he she says i love you then maybe he could be like okay i can't really see you anymore just totally rejecting that's her. that's true that's true it could ruin their whole friendship but that's giving it a lot of credit i have no idea whether that's i true. know um right after that like instead of just taking this sweet tender moment to speak her truth naturally she goes to kimmy's dad's office and hacks into his computer and writes an email pretending to be Kimmy's dad writing to Michael's boss asking him to fire him. And you know how you can send an email? You just write the name of the person and then where they work and it'll just get there. (laughs) You don't need an email address. (laughs) Mr. Williams at Sports Magazine. It's not even one word or with an at symbol. It's like Daniel Levine, comma, writer, (laughs) comma, podcaster, comma. And it's like, And it just gets to me somehow. It's like in the old days when you'd be like, hello, operator, please get me Mr. Smith. You know, the butcher's boy. The one on Main Street. Ah, yes, right away. (laughs) Um, But yeah, she's like debating on sending it. And then she tries on the wedding ring and is like, saves the draft. Now, of course, the ring is stuck on her finger because woobledy boobledy, we need physical comedy in this film. And we also need to save the draft for some reason that doesn't quite make sense, but it's the only way that it can get sent without her actually sending it. Like she gives some like half-assed explanation about why it should be saved as a draft, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, she's like, I won't send it. Maybe he'll just see it or something. You know, I don't know. It's something weird. But before leaving, the dad tells his secretary to send out everything in his drafts folder. (laughs) As if that's what that was ever made for or used for, (laughs) at least in my mind. But Michael gets a fax from his boss the night before the wedding saying, you should really know what you're marrying into with the email that the dad supposedly wrote. He's like, I need a moment alone. She goes out into the hall to give him space. She shares a cigarette and a moment with Paul Giamatti, the bellboy. Just kind of like a magical (laughs) knowing guy who's like, this too shall pass. So Michael calls off the wedding and they're like having this tender moment and he's like says he calls off the wedding he's like yeah i'm just crazy for falling someone i barely knew you still got that ring and she's like it's stuck on my finger god he damn it sucks this ring off her finger and i had to take a minute this whole thing is so fucking stupid because like i'm no i wasn't really will- willing to start liking this movie but like 
at this moment where he's like, I'm calling off the wedding, this must be the come to Jesus moment. It's a right? turning point, right? You assume it's like you, a turning point. You have point. to be like, okay, I now all these ridiculous actions I've been taking, like you can't call off your wedding. But she's like, great, awesome. Suck my finger. She might have been thinking that, but then he sucked on her finger and like... There are no thoughts possible after that. No. Besides like, yes, call off your wedding. Except the next thought is, can you go home because I'm actually not hitting on you? There's like too much back and forth. Because like first he's like, I'm so glad you're here. Then he sucks her finger. Then he goes, I just want to be alone. (laughs) Then he goes, maybe I'll go back to New York and hang out with you for a while. You're like rooting for them kind of because it's sexy, but you're not because it's fucked up. But then she wakes up with a note basically being like he's going to the pre-wedding brunch at her parents mansion to confront everyone because nobody knows the wedding is off kimmy is still hoping for a miracle jules is still working her bullshit on her basically being like well you're a creme brulee and maybe he doesn't want creme brulee she's not even trying to be nice she's being outwardly mean yeah at this point i would just be like are you trying to break up my wedding yeah right it's like you have the upper hand and she's just punching down Yeah, she finally ends up at this gazebo with Michael and she's just like, I'm in love with you. I have been for nine years, which I don't think is true, but I've just been too arrogant and scared. Pick me, marry me. She kisses him and they pull apart and he sees Kim is watching. So then we have this insane chase. Kim gets in a car and speeds away. Michael gets in a car, speeds away. Jules steals a bread van and calls George and is like, this is what happens when you're honest with people. It's gone horribly wrong. And he's just like, all right, listen, he's chasing Kimmy. You're chasing Michael. Who's chasing you? No one. You are not the one. It's crazy that she still is trying to break up the wedding, running after him. Who's? I mean, it's insane. It's not believable. It's despicable. Why would you ever be running after a man who's not running after you? Just ever, I guess. Yeah. Don't ever marry a man <laughs> who's chasing other women. Unless you're allowed to do that. Unless you're, you are um, proud and polyamorous and that's within right. the boundaries of your relationship. In right. which case, enjoy. Carry on. Yeah, actually, just do whatever you want. Do whatever the fuck you want. Well, who am I to say? I just host a podcast. Right. But if you're not polyamorous and your dude is chasing other women, I would strongly advise not to marry him. That's just my two cents. There's a lot of caveats to that. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Right. Finally, she finds him at this train station and she confesses that she wrote the email. He's like, what the fuck is actually wrong with you? I'm serious. I'd call the cops. He's like, oh, you're psychotic. Yeah. I'd call the police. Yeah. He went there to find Kimmy because that's where he proposed to her. And then all of a sudden, Jules just has this like major turnaround. Is like, we are going to find her. And that, like she's just like determined to fix this now. But also, he's he's charmed by the whole thing. She thinks he's going to react poorly because anyone would. And he's like, you know what? Thank you for loving me that much. He's like, yeah. fuck you. Fuck all There's you. No, again, like we're not addressing. We don't address it ever. Anything of like, I loved you that way once. Or like, I love you too, but I like committed to this. Nothing. Right. They just move we on. Don't, we drop these bombs constantly and then we don't address them at all. And it's so annoying. Yeah. And it's also, it's not her loving him so much. That's not what the, the problem is. It's to the extent to which she is a bad person. It's not yeah. the fact that she just loves him so much that she's actually a really good person. It's that she's no. a bad person who happens to be infatuated with this guy. Yeah. No one was like when they heard about that astronaut woman who like drove across the country to like be with this guy and wore a diaper so that she'd never had to pull over. No one was like, oh, she loves him so much. That's endearing. People were like, ew. 
<laughs> I don't know that story. You don't? It's very famous. She's an astronaut lady who just like shit her pants for a full road trip to like go be with this guy. Not endearing. Just weird. Oh, I love that. Don't do anything for love, no matter what Meatloaf said. Right. Oh, well, too soon, though. <laughs> Sorry. Apologies to everyone. To the loafers. He t- <laughs> the loafers? <laughs> That's fucking funny. Loafheads. Loafheads. Um, anyway, she's just now, like, determined to get this wedding back on track, and we don't have any real reason why, but... <laughs> Jules finds Kimmy in the bathroom at the baseball stadium and Kimmy just like comes out guns blazing. She's finally seeming like genuine in this moment. And she's just like, you bitch, you tried to steal him. And all these women are gathering around being like tramp. It's like a room full of like rotten looking freaks. Like truck drivers. Nobody looks (laughs) regular in any way. (laughs) It's the women's room at a baseball game in Chicago, I guess. So I guess that's the demographic we're dealing with. It looks like all of Mark Wahlberg's sisters in The Fighter, you know? (laughs) Uh, but she's just like, you're right. And I lost. So he loves you. I'd like to take you to the church so you can marry the man of our dreams. And they just <sighs> hug it out. And everyone claps and is like, I'd Aw. be like a bitch. I have my eyes on you. Yeah, you can still come to the wedding. Don't worry. I trust you. I didn't let people at our wedding that even like said shady shit to my husband when we were engaged, let alone like kissed him. Because you're a sane and smart person because you wouldn't be like... I'm a Scorpio who never forgives. Either that or you have like self-respect for yourself and aren't like... I wouldn't just be like, let's hug it out, girlfriend. (laughs) Be like, I couldn't trust you before. Now I definitely can't trust you now, ever. But anyway, they're having this moment in the bathroom. And then cut to it's the wedding. Now Jules has to make a speech as the maid of honor. And she's like, I had a dream that some psychopath was trying to break you two up. And everyone's like, like, (laughs) that's so funny. She's like, now I, I wake up and I see that the world is just as it should be. And as a wedding gift, she lends them her and Michael's song to dance to as their wedding song until they have a song of their own, which is like... The ego on this person, it's like nothing can possibly happen that does not center around her. She goes up in their wedding to talk about these realizations that she's been having Mm -hmm. and then thinks that Cameron Diaz wants the song that they had together and would find it charming. (laughs) She's like, I didn't get you a gift. (laughs) Yeah, and that's not charming either. Because I didn't think this wedding would go through. I was positive that I could break you two up. But yeah, so the newlyweds leave. And just as she thinks Michael is gone, he like comes back and hugs her. And then she's just like sitting at the party alone while the couple drives away. George calls and is like narrating the scene, like everything she's doing. And this is supposed to be really charming too. And it's like, what the fuck is going on here? I mean, I guess the thing is like, he's such a good friend and like, that's a good a relationship too. What does it have to do with anything? He's an enabler. He's just like, oh, you know, he like babies her through, even though he tells it to her straight, he also like babies her and takes care of her. And and he's been at this wedding. How did he get in the wedding? And has he been there the whole time time without her knowing and just waiting for this moment? I mean, probably not. I just imagine he like snuck into the party because he knew she'd probably be hurting, devastated. Sure. But like, I have to say I am fully obsessed with him. Like, and the way he's narrating everything is, like, so funny. And then you, like, want him to be straight so badly so that they can get together. But it's not going to happen that way. And he's like, maybe there won't be marriage. Maybe there won't be sex. 
but by God, there will be dancing. And they dance to forever and ever. And that is the end of the film. First of all, what the fuck did that have to do with anything? Even the last line. But second of all, there was supposed to be a different ending where she meets Aiden from Sex and the City and she finally finds her happiness. What? Yeah, like Aiden, you know, that actor. Yeah, I love Aiden from Sex and the City. Everyone He's does. He's my favorite boyfriend. Everyone does. He's great. And then test audiences were like, wait, who the fuck is that guy? They were like, no, I don't want her to be happy. I want her dead. I want her. <laughs> and they were like, okay, we got to reshoot this. I want her to get what she deserves. Which she deserves is like having a great best friend like George, who is just a, a angel. She does not deserve him. No. I mean. She doesn't deserve him. But also, as I said, none of us are our best selves at 28. Right. She has a lot of growing up to do. And maybe this is her her moment to grow up a little bit and realize she, like it's a not lot. all about her. A lot. Like do yeah. it really quickly. Well, never yeah. mind. She's like at the top of her profession. She doesn't need to do anything. And she's gorgeous and she has a great laugh. So whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe she won't be afraid of love anymore. So she'll stop like fucking over every dude she dates. Doubtful. Um, but also like it doesn't matter. And I think this marriage is not set up for success. This woman is not like set up for healthy relationships. Like a lot could go on after this. The blackout of this film. They could end up just like fucking off. And Kimberly can just age like three to five more years and be like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah, What did I do here? What did I marry mm. into this scumbag? Yeah, so like, you know, I take heart in that what we get at the end of this movie isn't necessarily how things may play out in the future. This is great to just go right into this summation part. Yeah. Because my point is, what did we learn from this movie? What are we supposed to take away from this movie? What did the characters learn? What was any of the themes? What's going on here? I have no clue. <laughs> I have only questions. I only no have answers. questions. I don't have no idea why someone would make a movie like this, except what Roger Ebert was saying, which apparently he fucking loved, which is to subvert expectations. And that is not a good enough reason to make a movie or tell a story. There's nothing yeah. good about this. I can't believe so many people like this movie. <laughs> that is fair. So just because you're like not doing what people expect doesn't make it good. Right. So, so someone was like hit with inspiration where they saw the whole story unfold and they were like, oh, this is great. This is something I have to tell because the characters aren't good people. Like that's right. that's it. It's a rom-com where you're not rooting for the quote-unquote protagonist, but you don't actually know what you want. Cool. And neither do they. So the next Marvel movie is without any superheroes. Great. I don't disagree with you. I think you make a very valid point. I really do. Oh, wait. I need but to give my rating. Yes, you do. I rate this movie one and a half out of ten little prayers. Because I love George, and I will give him a 0.5 of a star. I am with you there. Um, I don't live and die by this film. I just think it's like an enjoyable, at times, 90s movie that, like you said, is just trying to like throw something a little different in the pot. But we don't learn anything besides the fact that like your gay bestie is always right and better than everyone else. And also sometimes stuck up, conceited bitches don't get their way and that's enjoyable to watch too yeah i just think this movie is like emotionally constipated mm -hmm. like it doesn't actually get anything out it's pushing a lot um <laughs> but i love george i honestly i i love this movie for george fair i will give this 
film four moist ring fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, y'all, we fucking did it. Uh, we finally pissed off Daniel. And I just want to apologize to you, Jazz, for yelling in your ear for an hour. You have to know, like, your version of anger is most people's version of, like, slightly peeved. <laughs> I feel like I'm burning up right now about this movie, so I just, like, yeah, I don't want it to be. No, no, I'm not offended. Foul. I don't think you've offended anyone. I think you've made some brilliant points this evening. So another movie ruined for the masses. <laughs> You're welcome. I still had a really good time talking about it with you, so I don't really care. Yeah, watch it for George. Yes, definitely. Or watch it to just listen to this and laugh at our antics and my deep nasal congestion your constipated nose (laughs) (laughs) a lot of constipation happening um as always if you love the pod leave us a review rate the podcast send it to your friends um share on social media for those of you who have been doing that time and time again we appreciate you so fucking much much. we're going to be designing merch pretty soon so we'll like maybe put some potential designs out there and you guys can vote around like what you'd like to wear. Oh, great idea. On your keychains, your hats, across your titties, wherever you want mm-hmm. it. And now I'm going to go. Neti pot. Except I'm scared of like bacteria getting into my brain and killing me. Um, so, so I'll probably just. Take a shower or something. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I could use one. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later Later days. days.